Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Kind of disappointing today. Um, Yesterday's weather forecast showed that today, Sunday, was possibly the last day of 100-degree weather. Well, something must have happened because now we're looking at Monday also being 100-degree day. But with any luck, that may be the last one for a while. I'm not going to get too excited about it because, well... I've already been disappointed here, and it looks like uh, we're still having some 100-degree days, even though they told us that that's not necessarily going to happen. The good thing is, is that starting tomorrow, we get increasingly significant chance of rain. And that's the key, folks. You know, if we'd have held these temperatures, but we had our normal rainfall, everything would look so much different than what it does now. Just tremendously different. We really, really need that water. They were showing the... uh, drought monitor map. The three main counties, Hayes, Travis, Williamson, are as dark red as they can be. There has got to be some water soon. Soon. It is going to be a bigger decision than the heat as to whether or not our plants survive. And I'm already out of the worrying about my plants, you know, like small shrubs or I'm pretty sure I lost a couple of roses. Um, Very, very few of my plants are still alive. I'm more concerned about trees because to lose a tree, it could be one year old, 10 years old, 25 years old or older and you lose that and it's crushing because you can't buy a 25 year old tree and have it transplanted in your yard. I suppose if you have a check with enough zeros on it, you could, but the reality is is that these trees that have been around for periods of time, for years, are now suddenly falling or damaged or dead. That's going to be the part that's probably going to be the hardest to deal with. It's one thing to go, well, we'll just plant a new tree. Good. Good. Um, That is something that is positive. 
but you got to start all over again. A tree to get planted, you're talking about if you're doing it, maybe you've got a 15-gallon one. If you have a skid loader or a lot of friends, maybe you could do a 30-gallon one. And we're losing bigger trees than that. So it's two steps back and sort of one step forward when we have to replant these things. And we have no no indication at all yet. <clears throat> Is this becoming a typical summer? Why not next year be even worse? So smart choices have to be made. And we have to really consider what we're doing and whether or not we want to continue doing it. There are some plants that we love. But some of them are too demanding. So what do we what do we do? We have to make different choices. Fortunately, this is not, uh, we have a particular plant in mind. Gee, it can't make it here, so we're not going to plant anything. There are other choices. Texas has a lot of capabilities, lots of capabilities to give us wonderful landscapes that are very much able to handle the environment we're talking about. For bloom cycle, for uh, for color, height, shade, deciduous or not, we're probably gonna see over time here, a change in what we would most commonly see. It'll take a while. I mean, this doesn't happen overnight. Though we're getting a big shove in the back here, we'll hurry up and move on. Um, we will see what we consider to be a standard landscape. Uh, and we can see if that helps us out any. Different trees than what we would normally see. Different planting styles. Probably a lot more native plants that are well adjusted to our current environment. It is frustrating. It is frustrating because it is so hard to predict what are we going to wind up with. That's, I guess that's uh, like the old curse. May you live in interesting times. Times are interesting all of a sudden. Times are very interesting. 
Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, let's, let's go to the phone. This is Zach. Zach, what can I help you with? Hey, Jeff. I've called in before and asked questions about what to plant in the fall, and I was listening to you just a second ago. We did a, a fall planting last year, and just everything has gotten so smoked. I mean, the periwinkles disintegrated, uh, the ming ferns died, the foxtails died. I mean, like 70% of the stuff we planted just got smoked. The Japanese aurelia was in dappled shade. It disintegrated, gone. So we're going to try again this summer, but we're, we don't want to have a bunch of stuff that dies. And so we're, we're curious, what is bulletproof now or droughtproof now for a Texas summer? Well, the plants you picked need a lot of water. So that would have been one of the things that really affected them. Um, none of those plants are drought tolerant. So... That's probably the impact that got on those. I've got a good guide for you. It's the Grow Green Guide from the city of Austin. They cover things from turf grasses to trees. And they also, they also talk about um, their drought tolerance. Are these plants that need a lot of water? When do they bloom? When do they lose their leaves? Things like that. It is an excellent free guide. You can find it at growgreen.org, City of Austin's guide. It is full of beautiful choices of plants, including ones that can deal with what we had this summer. Now, to be honest, not every plant, even the ones that are supposed to be super, super hardy, can't deal with this summer. We were just unbelievable records for temperature. And the duration of the high temperatures and not a drop of rain, all of those factors put together, even the best of the best plants are going to complain about it. So, that guide has wonderful choices of plants that don't require a huge amount of care. But the plants you listed, they, they need much more water than what we got falling from the sky. And they're, they probably showed it to you because you're saying they're not looking good or they're dead. Yeah, that was the kind of year we've had. So the Grow Green Guide will give you a list of plants that are more likely to make it with a whole lot less water than the plants you listed. Yeah, because you've got to assume you're going to water once a week with the water restrictions. Do you need stuff that's super drought tolerant? Because the, the Grow Green Guide, I've looked at it before, some things say drought tolerant, but with a summer like this, it seems like even even some of those things struggled. Uh, and that's true. This was an exceptional year. And you're lucky. I have a, a lot of friends 
who can't water at all. So you're gambling. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. There is no perfect plant that you could have planted and predicted this particular type of summer we had, and the plant would have survived it. So you, you're taking your chances a little bit. There's not a easy answer. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. We'll check out Grow Green. Okay. Thanks for the call, Zach. Yeah, folks, you know, I get it. Geez, all my plants died. I want to replace them. Okay, that's fine. Good thing. However, when you say you want to replace them, you at least want to step up in terms of plants that are more drought tolerant, that don't need the kind of water that, uh, that the previous plant did. Now, there are a lot of them that fall in that category. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan. I'm sorry, Joni. I'm not a huge fan of agaves. <clears throat> They're not my favorite. But there are some beautiful ones that bloom, have great color, and really can handle this kind of weather. I do have to say... I have a bunch of yuccas, the the red yuccas. I'm really concerned about them this year. I have never had to provide them with water. This year, I maybe should have, but I ha I am not checking anything, anything, until we get a decent rain. That's really going to give me lots of answers as to what's next. Because if we were to get rain, and it was a sufficient amount, a lot of plants are going to come back. They may look terrible. They may take a while to look really decent. But a lot of plants are going to come back. You know, I got texted a comment here that we really need to reevaluate our landscape in terms of especially turf grass. <clears throat> All of the turf grasses will require more water than what falls from the sky. Now, if you can establish a buffalo grass lawn, congratulations. It is one that may survive on simply what falls from the sky, even during this last summer. But most of our turf grasses need an inch to an inch and a half of water per week to stay looking good and healthy. Maybe some of these places, some HOAs, it wasn't that long ago. There were still HOAs who had a requirement that you have St. Augustine. That has since been changed. The state of Texas legislature in 2012 jumped in and said, okay, that's enough of that. You're not going to handicap people and force them to plant a turf grass that there isn't enough water for. And then when you couldn't water because of restrictions, then it looked bad, the HOA would penalize you. That's 
gone. Minimize the grass and you minimize the amount of water that you will need to take care of it. And folks, I know if you have pets or kids, they need a place to play. And that means you may need to have a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of room for them. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. I'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> I got sent a text that makes very good sense. You got to think about this a minute, though. Once we start getting rain, the ground is so dry that if the rate of rain, if the rate of rain, that's hard to say, falls mainly on the plain, um, the rate of rain is too high, then the water can't soak in fast enough. And guess what? We get runoff, which leads to flash flooding. So what if we did our normal watering? It was our water day. We go ahead and do what normal watering we can. And if it should happen to rain the next day, you may get more of the rain to soak into your soil than would have if you didn't water. Wet soil, this makes no sense to some people, but wet soil can absorb more water than our bone dry soil, particularly when it's coming all at once. The problem is, it's a good idea, but if you are able to time your watering on a day that you're allowed to water, and it happens to be right before it starts raining, congratulations, you should run and buy a lottery ticket. Too many things have to fall into connection there to make this worthwhile. Now, if you are watering because you have a water day and that's what you do, continue to do so. But... I don't know that I would try to schedule it, try to work around so that you could take the water and get the ground wet before it starts raining. It is a good idea. Wet soil will absorb water easier than this dry, drought-stricken material we have now. I'm just going to wait on the rain. Now, the only watering I have done is some container plants. And we have a couple of soaker hoses or drip lines that run through some long beds that I have. And we get those on during our water day 
kind of funny because we said it, we, my wife sets everything up the night before. So all she has to do is when she gets up in the morning, which is, we, we have been getting up earlier and earlier. I don't know what that is about, but all she has to do is go out and turn it on. Set the timer, lets it run. At the end of that time, moves to a different bed with the water, turns it on. We can get two or more beds watered in our time period before it's too hot during the day, that after 10 o'clock time. And we're not wasting any water. The water's sprayed directly, not sprayed, but leak directly onto the ground through drip hoses or the soaker hoses. And some of our plants really look like it. They, they really look like, hey, this helped us get through this. But I don't know, I, I, I don't know if you can time things well enough that you can water during your window and you're lucky enough that it rains the next day or something like that. Moisture in the soil will help the soil absorb more moisture. This super dry stuff, if we were to get a rain at a rate of, oh, I don't know, I would bet two inches of rain an hour and we are flooding. We are gonna have flash floods everywhere because we just can't get the rain to soak in fast enough. Now, the good thing will be once we get that rain, right? Once we get some rain, maybe we're going to be lucky. The weather report shows almost every day for five days in a row, there's a chance of rain. If we can get some rain every day, those five days, that will really start by soaking in. It is so critical, too, as to where the rain falls. To be honest, we really need rain north of us, north, uh, northwest, in the watershed. Because if it's going to run off, it's going to run to the lakes, which will be the best for it. Because we need the lakes to fill up, too. But if it rains in the watershed, the watershed's drain to the various reservoirs that exist around uh, the area. And we need those full again. And that means if we can get the rain to be slow and consistent, it also means it will help fill um, the aquifers. But we're in trouble if we wind up getting lots of rain high rates of rainfall in short periods of time, that just gets the surface wet. There's not, there's not gonna be much stuff soaking in, but there's gonna be a ton of stuff, a ton of stuff running off. That's never good for us. That is never good for us to have. So long story short, Damp soil absorbs water easier than the drought-stricken dry soil. So if by some set of circumstances, 
You can soak your soil. You can get it wet. You can do your watering right before it decides to rain. That is a benefit for you. But a lot of things got to come together. Kind of impressive if you can if you can uh, uh, guess the exact time that the rain's going to fall. Kind of magical. Like I said, if you can do that, you probably want to consider consider buying a lottery ticket. Looking at the weather, Thursday and Friday appear to be the best chances for rain and much lower temperatures, much lower temperatures, like 90s, and I'm not talking 99. They're saying 91. And think of this, folks, the overnight low is going to be 70. We haven't seen that number in months. It will be so nice to get up in the morning, step outside, take a deep breath, and enjoy that cool, cool air. Let's just get there is the problem. We still have several days of 100, today and tomorrow at least, and then it starts working its way down, slowly but consistently. Once we get the rain, everything changes. When we start getting to the point where we're getting enough rain that we don't have to put, provide supplemental water, we need to sit back and look at everything and decide who's gonna make it and who isn't. Are you be, going to be able to get away with simply trimming off bad material or dead branches? Or is the whole plant going to die? I'm hoping for the best. I am. But I have several plants that I see I'm going to have to reconsider whether or not I'm going to keep them going. I have several that have truly been bulletproof. And if it's any consolation, folks, my Texas sages are blooming. I hope they're not faking me out like they've done so many times before, but I'm starting to get blooms on my Texas sages. So hopefully it leads to be the indicator for rain that we all think it is. They're real pretty. I don't care about their beauty at the moment. I just want them to be a calling card for the rain. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I need to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go to the phone. This is Sandra. Sandra, what can I help you with? Good morning. Um, so I have a large flower pot, like probably 50 gallons or something, in a in an area that's full sun. I had a hibiscus planted there, and it started getting what I presumed was aphids. 
and I sprayed it. I cut back little pieces. Then I was gone two or three days and came back, and it was like sticky white stuff up and down the stems. It had even gone down to the outside of the flower pot. It was just like white spots all over it. So, of course, I cleaned it up. I threw away the plant. My question is, was that probably aphids, and do I need to get rid of all the dirt, or will the dirt be okay, you know, to plant something else? It could have been aphids, and it could have been something called a mealybug. Both of those can attack your hibiscus. Do you get need to get rid of the dirt? Probably not. No, I don't no. think so. They they can fly, basically. So they can wind up on your plant from far away. It's not necessarily that they're sitting right there in the soil. But you will have to be attentive to be able to uh, treat them when you need to. You start seeing that, you need to start treating it again. Now, you should be able to use that soil again, except for you're going to want to add a little of a good quality compost to it. That's a pretty big container. When you pulled out the first plant, it, it used up all of the good organic matter was there, and now it's gone. So you need to replace what was used by the other plant. One bag of compost, you know, would probably be more than enough to blend into that container to plant something new. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. Well, I will um, do that. <laughs> it was just a mess. So I appreciate your help, as always. Yes, ma'am. Those little bugs are terrible. They make yeah. everything sticky and nasty and... Yeah, got to get on them the minute you see them. I mean, I started, but I just used soapy water. I would spray on it, but I think they were ahead of me. Possibly, possibly. Yeah. Listen, there's a be- there's a better product, and it is soap and spinosad blended together. The advantage okay. is is the soap kills the minute you get it on the bugs. Yeah. But the spinosad stays there for if you miss that bug and it shows up later, that spinosad will kill the bug. Uh, Monterey Products makes one that is soap and spinosad combination. It's still organic. It's still safe and easy to use. Uh, it comes concentrate or ready to mix. And there are a lot okay. of companies that make this now. So... Try that. It's a it's a step up from just the soap. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I will be ready yes. next time. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Uh, thank thanks for the call, Sandra. Uh, yeah, folks. What happens when you use soap? Depending on how soapy it is, it desiccates a bug. The soap. If you've ever washed your hands with really harsh soap and it left them really dry, well, imagine you're this little bug. It's going to leave you so dry that it's going to suck the moisture right out of you and kill you. 
oil-based sprays like neem oil, what they do is they coat the bug and they block its ability to breathe. So you, you wind up suffocating the insect. The bigger the bug, the less likely soap is going to be effective enough. Aphids, mealybugs, piece of cake, um, beetles, squash bugs. Now, nah, soap is not going to do it. But having the spinosad in there at the same time, spinosad will kill those bugs. Squash bugs, uh, beetles, things that are crunchy shelled. So what you're getting is you're getting double function out of this spray. And it is safe. You could spray a plant this morning and this evening Go out, pick the harvest, wash it off, eat it. These products are not hazardous in that respect, but they are brutal on the bugs. The soap only works if you get it directly on the bug. But the spinosa can hang around four or five days and the bug happens to come through and get it on him. Look for these kinds of sprays. They've been combining them with the idea that, hey, we're getting closer and closer to, I got just one bottle I need to use to control when I need to the pests on my plant. It's effective, easy to use, simple squirt bottle. You can get concentrate and use a pump up sprayer or something like that. These are really becoming kind of state-of-the-art types of uh, state-of-the-art type products. And this is giving us the ability to use products that are effective, that are unlikely unlikely to cause the insect to become immune to the, the disease. And they have a minimal impact and will break down on their own over time. So they're not permanent chemicals in our environment. Really, really good, I guess you call it technology, coming out for those kinds of pest control products. I've got a text message here about um, uh, when can you fertilize your Bermuda grass? If it cools down in a week or so, make that three weeks or so. We can still get quite hot. When we get regular rain, your turf grasses will be ready and will want fertilizer, but not till we get some good deep soaking rain. Then you can look at fertilizing for the fall and trying to have a nice green fall turf grass. But not now by any means, and maybe not even by the end of this week. Let's, let's, uh, let's not let 
the the weather fake us out like it does so often. You know, we get a day where we go, ah, that's fall, and the next day it's 102. So let's let's get a real break in the weather before we look at fertilizing our turfs. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I'm coming up to the top of the hour. I need to break for the news. I'll catch you all on the other side. 